I realized that only the people who manage their fear manage to fight in brackets in life. That goes for relationships, that goes for business, that goes for addiction, that goes for managing violence. You need to manage your fear first because the fear in your mind precedes the activity in everything. You peel that onion, hey, what took you so long to quit that job you hate and start the thing you love? Fear. In some cases, we're rash and we overreact. And if you peeled that onion and you could stop time, you'd realize that a lot of the energy that created that anger and impulsivity was fear too. My name is Johnny Elsasser, and I'm a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger and Tactical Commander to the U.S. Ambassador's Protective Detail. I have seen the struggle even the most hardened men have faced when they combat their inner demons, and I am here to shine a light on those struggles to show that no man is exempt from adversity and internal pain. Men from all walks of life share their stories of hardship, darkness, and perseverance so that every man knows that whatever he is going through, he is not alone. Evolution for men begins now. This is a Soul Fire production. Hey everyone, today's guest is none other than the legendary Tony Blauer. I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to get to jam out with Tony on this episode. And I can't tell you how much of a almost, I dare to say, dream come true it is. Not because I fanboy Tony, but I have immense respect for Tony and his work. He has been around the industry when it comes to personal security and personal defense. He's been around the industry for over 40 years, and he has redefined what it looks like to have your own personal defense system and learn how to protect yourself in all environments. But his philosophies on top of that how he speaks to fear and everything else that's involved with honing your own skills and personal governance of your own mind and, and emotions and fear. His connection to all this and his philosophy around it is absolutely amazing. I've known about Tony since I was in special operations, and it is so amazing to sit here so many years later and get to have a conversation with this amazing, amazing man who has put so much out to the world to really help people gain confidence in themselves, gain confidence in their abilities, and no longer succumb to a lot of the anxiety and stress that people live with every day. So, man, this is jam-packed. Tony, if you have never heard him speak, you are going to have a gem in this episode because he is a legend and has so much wisdom to pass on. So make sure you guys are sitting down, having the ability to really dive into this episode. And I cannot stress enough to go to the show notes, go click on Tony's link and sign up for his fear program, sign up for his spear system, get involved in Tony's ecosystem, man and women. Please do this for yourselves because there is almost nothing I can tell you that will be more empowering than trusting yourself in any environment. And a lot of what he teaches is not just the physical, it is the mental as well. So please sit back, enjoy this episode, get into Tony's ecosystem after you listen to this and be ready to have your life changed. All right, everybody, I'll see y'all around the corner. 
All right, everyone. Welcome back to The Art of Masculinity. Today, probably already going to be one of my most favorite episodes that I've ever done because we have the legend on with us, Tony Blauer. How are you doing, sir? I'm, I'm good, man. I don't, I don't, let's end the show right now. I, I don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I, I was honored when you agreed to be on the show and, and just so ecstatic to talk to you and jam out because you have such such a lot of wisdom that you're going to be pa- that you pass off already to the community out there and you teach and there's so much potent gold that you give through some of your one liners out there to just challenge people today. So, I wanted to start off by uh, opening up the door a little bit and you know, I know a lot about your background but maybe some people don't. How did you even get started really into the self-defense field? Um a lot of people don't realize, but everyone has an origin story for something they're doing, right? You know, like, yeah. like if you, if somebody pushes you and says, well, how did you get started? How did, like, did, were you just in the military? You just woke up one day and you're in the military? Like, or did you just, like, you're just, you all of a sudden you were like doing a podcast? Like there were origin stories for every chapter in our lives. Mm-hmm. Something that created some sort of spark or ignition or inspiration for that. For me, I have a few origin stories for different phases in what's been decades of just a fascination with uh, self-defense, the yeah. ability to protect myself. Probably the more obvious origin story would be I'm about 12 years old. I'm walking home from a, a pickup baseball game with some friends and we were using the, uh, el- the local elementary school, their field, and I'm leaving them alone. I'm, I'm skipping home like I'm good game, see the guys, see it on Monday. It's a Sunday and I see these two kids and I'm like 12 and they're 15 years old. They go to the high school. It's about 500 yards up their street. And they're walking on the sidewalk as I'm coming through the parking lot from the elementary school. And they go, hey, kid, come here. And I'm like, oh, cool. Older kids want to talk to me. And I like, I actually run right into the fucking ambush. And oh. Like I run up to them and they go, and they go hey, you go to school here? I go, yeah, but next year I'm going to the high school. And they go, well, we go to the high school. Welcome to high school. And I'm like, thanks. And they grab me. And one of the kids like puts me in a full Nelson behind my back. And the other guy goes into like a bolo punch to hit me. I'm like, I'm, I'm there, Johnny, like this, trying to fuck. I'm trying to get away from them. Yeah. And I was a, an all-around athlete. So I, comp- I skied competitively, did gymnastics, played tennis. Uh, what else? Uh, wrestled. So I was in really good shape, mm-hmm. but I'd never been in a fight. Yeah. And and so yeah. why I'm explaining that is because these guys, one guy's holding my arms behind me and my abs were as tight as you could get them. Like mm-hmm. if you were in a boxing gym doing some like like conditioning drills, you'd be against the ropes like this and your partner's hitting you, hitting you with a med ball or hitting you with body shots. I didn't know this, but I was locked on here. And when that punch came into slow motion and hit me, I screamed like my younger sister would have screamed mm. in anticipation of like dying, right? So I screamed and uh, I felt the guy, I didn't feel it at all, of course, but I, <laughs> I, I, I was like, ah, and, and, and as, and this is such a nuance based, and why I'm telling this detail is because the self-defense system I created, I realized years later, that there was an intuition and an instinct that I applied right there that got me out of that situation with as little violence happening and no damage. 
Mm-hmm. As I screamed, I felt the guy behind me, his grip changed, and I felt him almost like look at his buddy like, shit, we didn't mean to hurt him. Mm. And I, my intuition says, scream again, really loud, pretend you're dying. <laughs> and I screamed again, Johnny. I was like, uh, and I started doing like some like, like as if a, a, a bone was puncturing my lung. It's like, uh, <laughs> and they dropped me and ran. And I fell to the ground and I'm on all fours. And they run and they take off around the corner and they're, and they're gone. And I'm like looking there. As soon as they're gone, I get up, fix my shirt. I said, what the fuck happened? I went home. I tell my dad, he goes, hey, that was the game. I was good. But dad, I just got beaten up by two guys. Mm. And I didn't have a mark on, like my shirt wasn't even yeah. know, torn. And, and I think he made some joke, like, what was it, a pillow fight? Like, oh, what do you mean <laughs> beaten up by two guys? But I was so scared of this that that week, I, I, there was only one martial arts school in our area, about three miles away from my house, a Taekwondo school. And I went in there and it was like, ah, like I mm-hmm. just, I just felt like I was going to be saved. I felt like I was going to be protected by martial arts. Now, uh, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of backstory and I apologize for hogging the mic for a second. You're good. But I grew up in the sixties where Every TV show was like Mannix, Streets of San Francisco. Most of your listeners are, are going to have to Google this shit. So like, <laughs> what are the 60s? You know, but I grew up where Wild Wild West, Batman, uh, 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 the Green Hornet with Bruce Lee. So I grew up during this era where, you know, what's now toxic masculinity. Yeah. Like every guy, the good guy got the girl. And the good guy always had to beat up a bad guy in every mm. TV show. Like that was the formula. Yeah. So I grew up as a at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Like, you know, I was born in 1960. Going, when you know how to fight, you can solve problems. You can rescue women and protect them. Mm-hmm. And like that was like the osmosis through that. And it was, it was interesting. So my introduction to Taekwondo was like, okay, like maybe this is the toolbox that will help me fulfill or, or, or crystallize this, this fantasy that I had growing up as a young, young kid. Yeah. So I became a fanatic, trained all the time, got into boxing, got into different martial arts. When I was about 15 years old, and I would work out seven days a week. Right now I am in my garage uh, uh, where I teach four days a week still to this day, live on Zoom around the world. Wow. Uh, and, and of course, I still travel. Uh, we do live events, of course, but the, um, what was interesting is I, I started in my garage and, uh, or my, my basement had a gym. And then when I was about 15, my mom said, Hey, are you going to go to the, we had a family business. Uh, you know, my father's father started a, a manufacturing company and it was pretty successful. You're going to the family business or you know, you're going to be a police officer. You're going to be a doctor. What are you going to be? There were very few choices in the seventies from your mm-hmm. mother, right? It was like yeah. a spaceman, veterinarian, doctor, police <laughs> officer, fireman. Like there was the, you know, you couldn't be an influencer on Instagram yet. Yeah. And um, I looked at her. I was sitting on the floor looking at Bruce Lee magazine, working on my splits, and I looked up at her, Johnny, and and almost verbatim, I said, "Mom." School's not going to be that important for me. I'm going to be a famous martial artist like Bruce Lee. I'm developing my own self-defense system. Oh, wow. And she, she literally, she patted me on the head, bro. She patted me on the head and said, okay, honey, we'll talk about this when you're older. <laughs> uh, it's pretty wild. I just, I, 
There was just something about this. And I would know things. I want to share this with your audience. I'm 13 years old, sign up for Taekwondo class, right? At the end of, you must have done some organized martial arts at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Did you ever do any like, karate yeah. classes? Yeah. Do you remember at the end of every kata, you know, everyone go, Kiai, and they'd yell mm -hmm. as a group, they'd do a reverse punch, and the whole group would Kiai. So we start learning this. The instructor says, you know, Kiai, and he, like, as and everyone does it. And I'm like, why the fuck are they yelling Kiai before the punch? <laughs> I put in my hand, uh, Sensei, why, why are we yelling Kiai before the punch? The the yell will startle them, and the Kiai, and the, when you Kiai like that, you tense your body. If they counter, you're stronger. So I got a good answer, but my yeah. intuition was like, that's bullshit. Like, no, like, and I'm like this 13 year old idiot. But my intuition said, I'm not going to yell before I hit you because <laughs> if I'm going to hit you, I need you to be the last person that knows you're going to get fucking hit. <laughs> Why would I do anything that would alert you in any way? Right? Right. So we had a, a even at a certain, the 13 year old mind was going, hmm. And I did stuff where, you know, uh, I'm not going to mention the names, but you know, some of the organizations I've worked with. Yeah. Where I'm yeah. insulting on some of our force on force CQB, like, like now, fast forward decades later, like I was working at Fort on Fort Bragg on Z911. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, pretty wild. Yeah. And so I'm doing stuff all over the world with different DOD, military organizations, uh, you know, SWAT teams, stuff like that. And I would say, well, why are you approaching a guy like this? And some people in the room would go, and I used to, I'm, I'm an American citizen now, but I used to live in Canada when, mm -hmm. I, when I first started doing that. I lived in Montreal. So they'd be like, uh, you're Canadian. You don't even carry a gun. Like, just stay in your lane. Show us the hand-to-hand <laughs> -hand stuff. Like, and some people would go, you know, on a break, hey, tell me more about that. Like, wh what are you thinking there, right? Some people were, were extremely dogmatic and some people, you know, were. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting thing throughout my career where we'd always have like, it wasn't half the room, but but like part of the people with their arms crossed, you know, like the, uh, like the roadhouse thing, I thought he'd be bigger. <laughs> and then half of the people going, like, I've never thought about it like that. That's really interesting. And so I've explained to people, I go, listen, I'm a suggestion freak. I don't care what you do. I'm just trying to improve your self-defense IQ by blending what I call the three eyes, instincts, intuition, and intelligence. You know, when you look at something, just because, just because somebody did it before you, you guys aren't riding horses with javelins into battle. Like, like, like we're, past, we're past jousting and bayonets and, you know, so why not, as we learn more about neurobiology and neuroscience, and that's fast forward to where we are now. I still have people that like, you know, we'll try to spears full of shit. I've never seen Blower in an octagon and, you know, level in there. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is everything I talk about is grounded in modern neurobiology, kinesiology, and psychology. Every Every single movement, every single drill can be explained holistically. So, you know, it's a cerebral system, but you asked me how it started. I got beaten up when I was 12. <laughs> no, this is, it was, it was so good to hear that story. I was very fascinated where Spear came from and the fact that you have such a wide 
range of background and martial arts and then crafting spear, especially because I, I do know its effectiveness in response to something like a CQB environment, which most people don't understand how effective it is when you're in that type of environment, nor what that even looks like from a capacity of self-defense with weapons and confined spaces and everything else. So it was really cool. Thank you for sharing that. And um, if I can interrupt, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to interrupt you there before you go yeah. on to the next thing. I'm don't pin your thought. I don't want you to lose it. Yeah, like Spear is an acronym for Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerated Response. It's about the weaponization of the startle flinch response. Mm. So think of this: How many times have you flinched in your life? Oh, a lot. And it could be spider, <laughs> snake, a gunfire doing a like a stealth search and all of a sudden a guy turns around you're like oh, right and then you know yep. and then you hit him or you realize he's a good guy or whatever <laughs> everyone listening to this has flinched but here's the most amazing thing about weaponizing the startle flinch mm. the startle flinch is faster than anything you can do where your cognitive brain says block wax on wax off that's mm -hmm. amazing right so if you think about this all the times you've flinched you've never thought to flinch there's never been a conscious thought Wow, that's coming in my head really fast. I should flinch. And right. I, was, I make this joke with people. Right. I go, every car accident victim, motorcycle accident has trauma on their hands and their forearms. You go through the windshield, the hands come up. You, you, you hit the road, the hands come up first. You mm -hmm. look at knife fights, gunshot wounds, there's always trauma on the forearms and the hands. If somebody sees the attack coming at them, this is faster than a speeding bullet. That's the good news. The bad news is it doesn't stop the bullet. Yeah. And uh, so... In our operator courses, we show pictures of like dead bad guys where they've got like a hole through their forearm out the other side in their face. Because mm -hmm. if you go point your finger at me to shoot me, go ahead. Yeah. Point now, shoot me, Johnny. Yep. Right. Shooting. My hand will come up as I pick up the pre-contact cue. Because like unless somebody's like shooting me through the car door like this, right? Yeah. Someone goes, fuck you, mother. There's all these pre-contact cues energetically. And visually, and what happens is your, your conscious cognitive situational awareness can't pick up a lot of this stuff, but your survival system goes, oh, fuck, and it starts to move. Yep. And it's a fascinating thing. So Spear actually was developed in the mid to late 80s because what I did was when I started teaching, you know, I started teaching when, in 1977 at, at 17 years old, and then mm -hmm. professionally, I started teaching in 1980 when I was 20. That was wow. I, my first paid lesson. Literally, that's the only, I was working for my father at that time. Ironically, I ended up going to work for my father. But my side hustle, if you will, every night and all weekend, I would teach private lessons wow. uh, starting in 1980. Then I quit working with him in 80, in, when was it? In like 83. I did that for two, three years and then decided, no, I, I got to work for myself. I uh, was teaching full time and then opened my first training center in 85. But it wasn't until 87 where I was doing some force on force experimentation, really close quarter, like empty hand ambush stuff built around scenarios like muggings or abductions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I realized I started to observe the startle flinch, like messing up the bad guy's attack. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like all my, all my complex motor skills from Wing Chun, from boxing, from Taekwondo, from this style of karate or whatever, that shit hardly ever worked. Mm -hmm. When I was surprised and I, I would duck out of the way, my hands and my forearm, just like what I said, like in a car accident, your startle flinch deploys actually like 
a biologic airbag. Yeah. So if you imagine, if I whip something through the screen here and you go, whoa, and your hands come up to protect your head, your startup leaves deploys like a, an airbag to create space between you and impact. It's, it fascinated me. And I've yeah. spent now decades curating that, studying that, analyzing that. And we were creating drills in the 80s that now can be explained because of neuroscience and, and, and MRIs looking at the brain and how, how neurons fire and signal speed. And it was crazy shit where the conventional community around that was like, what, what the fuck are you doing? Like, like, you're just making up stuff now. And I'm going, no, like this stuff, <laughs> this stuff works. But I, I interrupted you because you mentioned, hey, no. your spear journey. That, I didn't start with spear. I started teaching boxing and kicking and grappling. Like I, was, I actually was blending like an MMA type thing because I had wrestled and boxed and done Taekwondo. So that's what I was teaching people is that, that sort of blend. Yeah. And what I love about it is like you also talk about the difference between like being a technical fighter and then the difference between like true self-defense, right? And that, that is, to me is a really big separation. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. I want to dive into that a little bit with you because I think we can enlighten a lot of people on what you even mean by that when you talk about it. Because it's not you're not trying to disempower the technical martial artist, but there is a reality right. in a fight where violence, like real violence is being done, that that stuff kind of doesn't actually apply. Yeah, so I like to tell people, like, don't confuse your martial arts with fighting and don't confuse fighting with self-defense. Yeah. And some people are like, what, what, what the fuck? They're all the same. Like the contrarian <laughs> mind, well, they're all the same. So I can use a hammer to build something. I can also use a hammer to destroy something. Just because I'm using a hammer doesn't mean it's got one use or I understand its use. You can also smash your fingers with a hammer if no one taught you to hammer properly, right? So yeah. this hammer thing is, it's an interesting mini metaphor in the sense of this. And the best way for me to, to get people to visualize what I'm talking about so they see it in their own mind and then Socratically go, oh, that makes sense what you just said. Think about every CCTV, body cam, helmet cam, video, of every violent encounter you've ever seen. And tell me how many times you've seen boxing, Taekwondo, Jiu Jitsu, Krav Maga, solving the problem of true violence. Mm -hmm. Now, before you go, oh, there's that video that went viral of that guy uh, in Europe dropping people. I don't know if you ever saw that. He fights like seven or eight people no. in like, uh, like one of these, these uh, what do you call them with the, uh, the roundabout, like in, in Rome. He's out of his car and guys are running at him. He's wham, wham, he's dropping people. And so people will email me this and they go, I thought you said boxing doesn't work, man. And I'm like, okay, listen, you fucking asshole. You know, I don't say that, but I think that, right? I go, I didn't say boxing didn't work. I love boxing. I've been boxing since I'm 15 years old. I still box. I got two fucking heavy bags over there that, that I like to punch. I've also broken my knuckles, broken my thumbs, sprained my wrists in street fights and in sparring. Hit a, a body shot when a guy goes like this and boom, the glove catches your knuckle and yeah. now, oh shit, I just cracked my, my thumb. It was one, one fight when I was 16 years old where I grabbed the guy 
and I pulled him into me. And as I went to hit him, he ducked and I hit the top of his head oh. and got a compression fracture and cracked the knuckle here. So yep. I love boxing, but I'm also the only times I've injured my hands was boxing. Yeah. So as I started creating something safer for the street, I said, like, imagine you're in a gunfight. You come into a room, you got your long gun, guy jumps out over here, you know, enemy soldier with a, with a helmet on, he's on your gun and you go, fuck, and you go to hit him and he turns and you fracture your hand on his helmet. Yep. You knock him into a field of fire and then you go to grab your gun, but your shooting hand's broken. Yep. Like, what are you doing? Right. So I started looking at things in terms of, I created a matrix. I'm going to train people fast. Time to learn. Risk to limb was one of the one of the the checklists. What's the risk to limb? Mm-hmm. My limbs, because yeah. I don't know how long I'm going to have to fight. I don't know how many opponents I'm going to have to fight. I can't go like, oh, I'll take the guy to the ground, right? I love mm-hmm. grappling. I I was a competitive wrestler. Some of my friends are the best grapplers in the world. Mm-hmm. UFC level guys. I don't want to grapple them. Yeah, but uh, if they were a multiple assailant fight. With a bunch of douchebags who weren't going to try and outposition them and chest with muscles at 100 miles an hour, like that would be a problem, right? You got to know your area of operation and where you're fighting and how long you have to clear that problem, right? Yeah. You go to a house, you have 15 seconds. You, you can't hang out grappling in the first room, right? And that metaphor for timeline is road rage, rape, abduction. There's a timeline that you have where you, you need to get some shit happening. Because like in Silence of the Lambs, you don't want to find yourself at the bottom of a pit where someone's like going, put the lotion on the body. And you're like, ah, fuck. Okay. You, know, you, do you, not. Still, you still might figure out how to get out of it, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been good if you'd seen the movie if she hadn't gone into the back of the van because she trusted her instincts and her intuition, which is all part of our, our system. But I yeah. completely forgot and hijacked the conversation. I forgot what we were even talking about no. and how we got to science. We, we were talking about how how there is a difference between like fighting and uh, like violence of real fights out in the streets and then obviously yeah. being a technical orthodox martial artist, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, thanks for resetting my brain. We have a maxim that's a fun one to remember. Don't confuse technical for tactical. Yeah. Don't confuse technical for tactical. I'll give you this story I do at our Bio and Bodyguard seminar. That's a, then we have a, like a one-day course for people who don't want to go to jiu-jitsu, don't want to box, don't want to get punched in the face, that using my decades of research studying violence and fear, we put together a one-day course. And people go, mm. that's bullshit you can't learn in a day. You can learn self-defense in a day, the principles of self-defense and apply them in the same way that I can teach you how to use a fire extinguisher. Mm. I can say, hey, don't store the fire extinguisher behind where a fire might happen. Mm-hmm. Have the fire extinguisher in another location, right? And, yeah. and that way you can access it. <laughs> and here's how you use it. And here's what you do. And visualize this, you know, practice it a couple of times if you want with a with a with a, an inert fire extinguisher or go buy a cheap one at Costco and blast it in the back. Just so you go, that's what it feels like. That's what it shoots like. But you don't need a black belt in fire extinguisher. You don't have to go to like fire extinguisher classes for four years. You know it. <laughs> so when I say good learn. When I say you can learn self-defense in a day, I'm talking about this metaphor of uh, uh, how do I use, how do I recognize danger? How do I stop it early? Guess what? If your house catches on fire, your job is to put out the fire, maybe save your property. Most importantly, it's to save your family first, right? And then you're going to call the fire department. So I always tell people like, 
Just because you know how to use a fire extinguisher doesn't mean you're a fireman. It doesn't mean you're a paramedic just because you know how to put on a tourniquet or do CPR. And so we created a course called Be Your Own Bodyguard. And in that course, I tell people, and this, my, my, my brain processes a million things at once. The reason I told you that previous story is somebody listening to this might go, you, you can't learn to finish up in a day. And what they're actually accidentally thinking is you can't learn a martial art in a day. And I agree that you, with that. You can't learn how to box in a day. You can't learn jujitsu in a day. You can't learn krav in a day. You can't learn Thai boxing in a day. But you can learn the three Ds in a day, detect, diffuse, defend. You can learn the principles of situational awareness. You can learn how to read intuition. Every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling. Mm-hmm. Most don't have the courage to act on it. So they lead the attacker into a more isolated area by putting blinders on. This is not happening. This not, as opposed yeah. to acting on it. You can learn principles of de-escalation, which is the moral, ethical, legal thing to do in any confrontation. And then you can learn primal gross motor movement. Now this sinks back to your question. What's the difference between a martial art? And I added a third one, right? Don't confuse martial arts with fighting. Yep. Don't confuse fighting with self-defense. Yeah. So traditional classical movement, man, we could go so deep in this because the way you <laughs> learn also affects the way you learn also affects your spontaneity in in a uh, volatile, dynamic, hostile situation. If you spend mm. all your time on a flat range, zeroing in your rifle, working accuracy at 25 yards and 75 yards at 100 yards, and then, then one day you've got like a CQB problem, like you've got no emotional, psychological, physical reps of that. Most of your time was spent like you're on a golf course, just that pins about, you know, uh, how do I use, which <laughs> club should I use? Like you could take your time with it. Yeah. What do you think the wind is doing? Right. And I remember being at Fort Benning uh, years ago, doing a capability brief. And I said to, there were like nine Sergeant majors in the fucking room. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, if you could only pick one, Force-on-force training for your soldiers, simunitions, UTM, force-on-force, or flat-range drills for uh, proper loading, unloading, zeroing in weapons, and accuracy. Which would you pick? And they all said, flat-range. What are you thinking? I love, like, just like, boom, boom. I said, but the area that's going to mess them up is always going to be the room-to-room stuff. Yep. Not... You know, if, if they're lying down going, there's a bad guy, right? Should I shoot him? You know, what are the rules of engagement right here? Like when you've got time to think. And, and it was, it, it, it boggled my mind. I didn't expect them all to say that, but I also looked at, and this is this kind of nerdy metaphor example ties back to the problem that most martial artists have with our messaging, because They're schooled in the fundamentals are everything. Mm -hmm. The basics are everything. And and if you don't have this muscle memory, even though muscle memory does not exist in the literal sense, everyone uses the term. There's no such thing as muscle memory. There's neural patterns, Yep. right? And so they go, well, I learned this way and I got my black belt after 10 years and look at my sidekick and look at this and watch me spar. And I go, I'm not saying you're not an amazing tactical athlete. I'm not saying that that skill set isn't amazing. What I'm saying is, 
anytime, and this is this is statistically true, anytime a traditional martial artist has gone into the ring against a boxer or a street fighter, most of them got their ass kicked because mm-hmm. they had never they had never had reps on fear and contact. Yeah. Managing fear and contact, closing with the enemy from a military uh, uh, nomenclature. But because most martial arts training is cooperative, as violent as it looks, it's let's do this drill. Let's do this drill. What we call ACP, awareness, consent, and preparation. And so there's very few people of the thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who practice martial arts that would ever step into an octagon or a boxing ring. Right? It takes a different level of courage, yeah. uh, a whole different level of, of aerobic conditioning and, and body impact training. And then if you look at, and here's a great example, how many moves do you think you are, there are in a traditional jiu-jitsu system? Any clue? No, no clue. I have no clue. Hundreds. And then there's a counter for every, every counter. When you watch two fighters in a UFC fight, how many jiu-jitsu moves do we see in the 20 years that the UFC has been around, is it 30, 1993 was the first one. In 30 years of the UFC, how many jiu-jitsu finishes have you seen? Have you seen hundreds or is it rear strangle, arm bar, triangle choke, ankle lock, knee bar, a couple of really high level people with the Dars choke and a yeah. couple of crazy choke, but they're, they're strangles and chokes. There's actually like three that happen all the time. And then if you're yeah. really good, there's those other two. And if you're exceptional, there's a couple other finishes. In yeah. other words, you take hundreds of moves that you learn in the martial arts, and then you put it in a pressure-tested situation where it says, hey, no knives, no guns, no multiple assailants, no concrete, no fish hooks, no eye gouging, no biting. You can knock each other out, you can elbow each other, you can knee each other. Here's some conditions if the guy's down, right? With, you know, the, the rules. Of course, you know, there's no rules in the street and yeah. there's no rules <laughs> downrange. Um, and at least for the, the bad guys, good guys seem to have rules of engagement. But but suddenly you take that traditional jiu-jitsu guy or MMA guy or martial artist, and he, he's got to learn a whole different way to apply a limited amount of techniques because those, those are the only ones that work when the risk is real. Yeah. And so that's when I say don't confuse martial arts with fighting, mm-hmm. combat sports, and then don't confuse combat sports with real violence. There's a, there's a, a workshop that I give. I'm not going to do it here, obviously. There's a whole presentation I do. <laughs> and the title of it is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And, I, and what I do is I use, I think it's five world-class martial artists, guys that are better than me at their martial art. Like if I had to spar this guy, he'd he'd fucking destroy me. If I had to grapple this guy, I'd be a human pretzel. (laughs) All of them are dead now. All of them are dead because they took their martial arts into the street. Wow. They confronted, and some of it was trying to be a courageous bystander. Mm -hmm. Some of it was an altercation that ensued. And what they didn't account for was the fucking craziness of the individual that they were fighting. Because through osmosis, they just assume, hey, when I tap you or drop you, you'll know I'm the man. 
Yeah. What they didn't account for was the loser was going to go home and get his 357 Magnum and come back and shoot you in the face while you were sitting there having a drink. Yeah. Or in one case, uh, and it was the craziest thing, it was a hit and run car, hits the instructor's car. This guy, Alex Gong, he's like 4% body fat, fucking Muay Thai world champion. He's training outside with some students and this car comes speeding down the street, smack, loses control, hits his car in front of his students. He's there ripped, like he looks like Bruce Lee's so ripped, right? Yeah. He's wearing tie shorts with gloves on, fucking doing pad work with his students. And this guy that hits his car gets speeds off and gets jammed up at a little traffic jam. What does Alex do? He fucking comes running down the street like the Terminator after the guy. <laughs> so one of our things I tell people, never let ego or pride dictate your next strategy. Mm -hmm. Like if Alex was walking with his wife and his kids, would he have chased the guy? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But he's in front of his students, he's teaching. Like, did that influence? Am I going to stand here and let it? I don't know. I'm just sharing this with all of you out there. There's fucking nuts out there. Yeah. The only time you should defend yourself is when it's a credible threat. Mm -hmm. Credible threat. Right? He runs after the guy. So imagine you're in your car and all of a sudden someone punches the window and you look over there and there's a guy with hand wraps on or boxing gloves on, sweating, ripped, tie shorts on. And he's like at your window going, get in the fucking car, man. He's like, you know, <laughs> well, guess what? Guess what happened next, Johnny? The fucker was in a stolen car. He had a gun on his seat. Uh -huh. He shoots Alex through the door. Yeah. Kills him. Wow. And uh, like, I use that example and no disrespect, but it's like, I tell people, don't confuse the categories. Yeah. Category one is all traditional classical martial arts and they have amazing value. And a lot of people in there are very adept at self-defense, but I need you to understand this. When you practice a certain way, I'm going to get into some neuroscience here. When you practice a certain way, you create a romantic relationship with the moves that you dig. Mm -hmm. Right. I went shooting on Sunday and, uh, my buddy said, Hey, uh, here's two pistols. I want you to try. I said, I brought my gun. He said, no, we'll try this. Yeah. Like ammo's on me, shoot the pistols. They had magazines ready to go. I was like, this is sweet. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so I, we shot, we had a blast, pardon the pun, we had a blast, <laughs> but I was using somebody else's gun. And I said to him at one point, I said, are you giving me these guns as a gift? And it was like, ha ha ha. I was like, <laughs> okay. And I shot well, but I didn't shoot the way when I shoot my gun, even yeah. though one of the guns was a Glock. Mm. It was like, it's just something different. This is my Glock. You know, yeah. oh, you're size 11? Let me borrow your running shoes. Yeah, uh, fuck. Like, I'm looking at everybody. Like, I like my running shoes, not your running shoes, right? It's just something <laughs> weird. So our brain, our brain does weird things. We like what we like. We're all control yep. freaks in the metaphoric sense. Yeah. And some of us are literally control freaks, right? But the concept here is interesting. When I do something over and over again, I create neural patterns yeah. for that. And I'll, I'll give you a metaphor. I love metaphors in case you and I was saying I, that. I figured that out. Um, <laughs> right? If I turn around, I just take money from a, a uh, this is for everyone listening. You just took a bunch of money out of your uh, ATM and you turn around and there's a, a guy standing there and he goes, yeah, thanks for doing that uh, withdrawal. I'll take that money from you. He doesn't have a gun. He's just going to strong arm you. Mm -hmm. If you're a boxer, what are you thinking right now? Like if you go, well, I'm not giving you my money. If you're a boxer, 
what are you thinking about doing? You're thinking about punching him to the body, hitting him with an uppercut, putting your hands up, boom, boom, dropping, right? But you're mm-hmm. thinking about boxing. Why? Because you love boxing. Not only do you love boxing, but you've created through your 10,000 reps the neural patterns for boxing. And not just all boxing, but maybe you love the left hook, or you really love the overhand right, or you like the shovel hook to the kidney. In other words, you have, as a guy who's been in fights and seen fights, you know something's about to kick off and you're going to think preemptively. You're not flipping coins. You have a move that you're thinking of all the time. Is it a headbutt? Is it a a fucking bitch slap? Is it an overhand right? Everyone has a move they think is going to solve the problem. Yeah. This is very, dare I say, deep. Your favorite move actually compromises your active situational awareness. Mm-hmm. Because if you're in a confrontation and you're thinking, I'm going to double like this guy, mount him, smack him a couple of times, he's going to turn over, I'm going to choke him out because I've done that dozens of times and it always works. Or I'm going to push the guy away and then I'm going to round kick him in the head because I've done that, it always works. You're not thinking about running. You're not thinking about if he's got accomplices. You're not thinking about, did I just see an imprint there? Does he have a weapon? Yeah. Right. And so I was telling people that situational awareness, the most important part of self-defense is almost, but eliminated by conventional training because you're always practicing the physical part. Mm. And so if I say to you, Hey, Johnny, welcome to the spear class. So listen, remember head on a swivel, dude, remember morally, ethically, legally diffuse and deescalate because we live in a litigious world. So you want to do the right thing. Okay. Let me get, let me show you how to get out of a headlock. And then we spend the whole class. Here's how you get out of a choke. Here's how you do a gun disarm. Here's how you do a kick. Here's, here's how you block this. We talked for two seconds about the behavioral side of self-defense, but then we spent the whole time fighting. Yeah. So your nervous system has no exposure to reps of avoidance and de-escalation. Mm-hmm. Unconsciously, you're seduced now. I come up to you, I shove you. Your default reaction might, maybe if you are assessing the situation is I should run right now. Mm-hmm. I should throw this drink in the guy's face. He's going to turn a flinch and I'm out the back door. Mm-hmm. But our dopamine relationship to a certain move, our romantic love with our martial art keeps us on the X. Yeah. And so true self-defense yeah. is different than, again, traditional martial arts. We're focusing on the complex motor skills of executing the mark. Combat sports, you're not de-escalating. You're not avoiding. It's like, well, let's meet. Yeah. Let's fight. And we're never going to quit. Our, our, our corn's got to throw in the towel. So it's not teaching you any of the skills that you need for true self-defense. And that's why I brought up, come full circle, here's some world-class martial artists who should have used their intuition and their situational awareness and said, I'm going to call the cops on this one. Someone got his license plate. Okay. What's up with that guy? Like, like, why am I going to pull him out of the car? If we could talk to these people in a seance and I said, Hey, this is going to happen. And I want you just to like back down, have the courage to back down. It doesn't yeah. mean you're a coward. It just means this guy's fucking crazy. You get in a gunfight and your life changes. Mm-hmm. Even if yeah. you win. Yeah. So there's a lot to think about in, for people who really want to understand like actual true self-defense. 
Yeah, I, I love that you kind of really laid this out because I want people to know the difference. Guys, you know, I have so much respect for the martial arts, but guys think if they just do that, they're like some, you know, Billy badass protector. And you're like, bro, that's not the case. And you shouldn't be looking for anything to put you in that position. Right. And so I love that you laid this out so beautifully because I think that's what men, if they haven't heard you talk about that, they really need to hear that. On top of that, I want to explore as we're kind of like, getting down to the end. I just, I could talk to you forever, Tony, you got so much knowledge, but I want to explore your no fear because I love this seminar that you put on. I love the teachings behind it. And I think it lends a lot into what we just kind of talked about with the fighting and self-defense and then, you know, combat sports. So it's like understanding that no fear. And we're talking about this for people listening as K N O W no fear. And there's an important piece that fear plays in the human physiology and psychology. And I want to dive into that for a little bit with you, Tony, you ready to do that? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. It's actually, uh, you know, if you said to me, you, you got to pick one fear or, or no fear the rest of your life, I, I would pick no fear. Mm, it's my wow. favorite topic to discuss. So yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you I, identified this and then created a whole course around it. Fear and being from special operations, like no guy there is going to tell you they were not scared. Like fear is a huge driver to persevere. And it's something like you can't, my firm belief is you can't even have courage without fear. Courage is standing yes. in the face of fear and moving forward. And so I want to open up the, the conversation around how you're talking about knowing fear and how we're as men, a lot of times, not our, not exposing ourselves to fear because we think it's emasculating, right? Yeah. So, so great points. And then your courage, fear comment is spot on, Johnny. In fact, one of the lines from our course is you can't be brave if you're not afraid. Yep. That the primary ingredient of courage is fear. If yeah. you looked at a bottle of courage, there'd be one organic ingredient and it would be fear. Mm -hmm. Think about this, everyone listening, if you're wrestling with that, because it sounds like a little too cute. <laughs> if someone didn't require courage to run into a burning building or to run into a room where there were a bunch of people with guns that might shoot them and kill them, to jump into a, a, a river and save somebody or, or any, any of the acts that we see on, in the news and we go, holy shit, I wonder if I could do that. If you were... If you ever looked at something and went, I wonder I can do that, it's because you were afraid. Mm -hmm. Think about this. If you were a firefighter watching a burning building on the news and watching firefighters triangulate on the building and assess it and ladders going up and people running in, if you were a professional firefighter watching a burning building on the news, would you ever turn to your spouse or your kids and go, man, I wonder if I could do that? No, you're a <laughs> professional firefighter. You've stress inoculated and trained to do exactly that, mm -hmm. right? So it's an interesting thing. And, it, and it's, it's funny because, you know, it's just thinking like as I've met a number of uh, professional fighters and professional soldiers and military servicemen from different, from the different verticals. And there's some that you hit the nail on the head in terms of like, like the, the, uh, the type A personality doesn't want to talk about fear because it might seem like it's too uh, make, making you vulnerable sounding yeah. or weak. And listen, if you play it as a card to get attention, yeah, it's fucking weak. But yeah. 
your ability to go, I'm fucking scared and I'm going to do this anyhow, scared. Like if, and that's the whole thing with the no fear program. It was, how do you turn fear into fuel? Mm -hmm. Because then if I have no fear, like no fear for whatever reason, yeah, like it's just things happen too fast or it was in my wheelhouse of, I was a unicorn for this and, and I could just do it. And we know people like that. Like something happens and they're like, I didn't fucking do that. Well, obviously yeah. move this, move that way. And we're like, holy shit. I like, I would have hesitated there. So what we did is we looked at this idea that there's, and, and we're probably, I think we're the only company and, and training program in the world that makes this distinction that the psychology of fear and the neurobiology and physiology of fear are completely different conversations. Mm -hmm. If you've got sweaty palms, shallow breathing, you've gone from parasympathetic to sympathetic, you got butterflies in your stomach, you could have all that and be in a, like stacked outside a house going, and you're combat breathing and you're going, fuck, I wish I wasn't so nervous, but everyone in there is going to try and kill me and I'm going to try and kill them. Of course I'm fucking nervous, right? Mm -hmm. So you could be highly trained and having a physiological response and still be functioning because you've got your psychological systems intact. And so we identified that. We said, hey, well, the only thing that matters in terms of performance enhancement is the psychology of fear. Mm. Who cares how much adrenaline you got through your system? In other words, like I, like I identified years ago, like debriefing people after certain types of training, I go like this guy's, this guy's heart rate was fucking 188 beats per minute. This guy was like fucking like 90 Yeah, and they had the same drill. And like, what dude, what are you like? Holy shit. Like, why are you so calm? And then you come and find out where, uh, you know, the guy grew up, uh, in the South and he was he used to catch snakes and he boxed with his brothers and, uh, he used to like throw rocks at crocodiles and getting into <laughs> a fight with a guy. It was no big deal. Like I was always around stuff that could kill me. This yeah. is who cares? Right. And somebody else who has never had other events in their life that's stress inoculated for them stuff is like, but all that matters because the mind navigates the body is how you control your mind. Mm. Again, coming back to there's no muscle memory. You go for a run. I go, let's go for a run. You know, I hate running. The only way you're going to go for a run is if you talk yourself into it. Your quads yeah. aren't going to go, let's go. Right. You're not, so there's no <laughs> muscle memory. So the whole no fear program, actually, the, actually my incubator period for all of the innovations that my company now, as far as products and services offer, happened in the 80s. Our panic mm. attack seminar became our high gear ballistic micro fight. Oh, wow. Uh, we used to do this like before, before Fight Club was a movie, <laughs> we would get together like, like at times once a month, sign waivers, talk about scenarios, and then beat the fucking shit out of each other. And, wow. and we, would, we would do this. Yeah. And, but we would do this, we were crazy, like in Fight Club, of course, that's just a movie and I'm sure there are people who do that, but we would wear these uh, plexiglass helmets from Japan called uh, super safe helmets so okay. that you can get knocked out and get dropped and get stunned, but you didn't get your eye socket cracked or your nose broken or your jaw broken gotcha. because of the design of the helmet. So I started to notice this, and this was the actual first breadcrumb. Word of these seminars started to spread and I'd get these random calls from people. So it wasn't just my students. I'd get, hey, can I come do that? And I'd get like doorman security cops come in to do this. And but I also started getting like sexual assault victims and people who had been bullied 
And they'd be there sometimes joining, like literally like on the sidelines, waiting to go, watching the other fights. And they were like crazy. And there's a bunch of them on, on VHS videos. We transferred them, but you can see some of the stuff. There's a video that we have, have called Forging the Fighting System. And it's all these clips from 1980. Wow. And when we first started doing it, it's, it's wild. But they were crazy. But I'd look over and there'd be people crying on the bench, on the side, like sitting there. But they knew they were going to go. But they were fucking crying. And I'm like, are you okay? They're like, yeah. I go, hey, this will be cathartic. Don't worry. Don't try to win this. Just try to survive it. And what we're going for here is the after action. Don't try to do a move. Don't think of a move. And I would say to, so I'd say to people, remember before, about 15 minutes ago, I was talking about how your ego or pride might keep you in a confrontation where you wouldn't yeah. even think to run because you had either a romantic idea of violence, your, your, your muscle memory, air mm -hmm. quotes, your muscle memory forced you to think about a technique instead of running. Well, at one of these seminars, there was this guy there named, his name's Larry Joseph. I'm still friends with him to this day. It's 1986. I said, listen, the fight's going to happen down here in our gym. As soon as you can break contact, I want you to run. And if you can get to where our juice bar was, like it was about a 30 foot dash. If you yeah. can get to that, that safe haven, that's a cop, that's a bouncer, that's a storefront. And you can get in that door, you're safe. And I don't care how you break contact, you break contact. Mm. So this is like one of the isolation drills. It was, yeah. don't stand there and fucking fight the guy, smack him in the head, stick a finger in his imaginary eye through the mask, you know, drop an elbow, head, but whatever it is, as soon as you break contact and he could chase you and drag you down and, and the fight would go everywhere. It was all free for all once the scenario kicked off. Yeah. And I said, but, but as soon as you can break, run. And Larry puts his hand up and everyone listened to this. Larry says to me, he's like a, 35-year-old successful businessman. He said, Mr. Blower, uh, I, I, I go, yes, Larry. He says, uh, regarding running, I think we all know how to run. We came here to learn how to fight. And I said, Larry, the fact that you won't even entertain running as an option in the scenario tells me your ego might keep you in a very dangerous place when it doesn't happen. I want you to think about that, right? I would give people counterintuitive things to do in these scenarios that would force a, a really interesting after action. Yeah. Right. And that was the whole point of it. So like literally like the girl crying on the side, she go through it. And this is the big thing that led to no fear. I realized that only the people who manage their fear manage to fight. I'll say mm -hmm. that again, because it's, it's an important sentence. Mm -hmm. Only the people who manage their fear manage to fight in brackets in life. That goes for relationships, that goes for business, that goes for addiction, that goes for managing violence. You need to manage your fear first because the fear in your mind precedes the activity. Mm. Always. Yeah. In everything, you peel that onion. Hey, what took you so long to quit that job you hate and start the thing you love? Fear. Mm -hmm. People can argue with me, but it's true. You... What took you so long to ask her to marry you? Fear. What took you so long to get divorced? Fear. What took you so long to call that guy up and give him a piece of your mind? Fear. And then obviously, in some cases, we're, we're rash and we overreact. Right. And if you peeled that onion and you could stop time, you'd realize that a lot of the energy that created that anger and impulsivity was fear too. Yep.
100%. So my whole goal with the No Fear program is like initially it was to help people manage violence. And then I went, oh my God, we started getting like emails and, and letters from people. Uh, one guy that I trained said, hey, using your cycle of behavior, which is kind of like a strip map for the neural circuitry of fear, said using your cycle of behavior, I helped get my 15 year old daughter off of antidepressants. I don't know how to thank you. Wow. And I'm like reading that going, holy shit. Get like letters, emails from doctors going, uh, this friggin' crisis was happening, and I, 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 I ran and hid in a fucking janitor's closet, freaking out at what I was seeing, and got my shit together, remembering some of the tenets from the No Fear program. I don't know how to thank you enough. And I'm like, I'm going, this has nothing to do with, with physical violence. Yeah. This is transcendent. Yeah. And then because of those realizations, going back to what I said to you before, you asked me about this, you know, we've got so many courses. If you said pick one, you know, I'm a physical guy. I've been a, I've been a physical guy my whole life. Hey, you wouldn't think I would pick a class that's all talking, lecture, yeah. whiteboard, Socratic interaction. And that's the one I picked because I realized this, that I could teach you to be a 10th degree black belt in every martial art ever developed. And if you get a fierce fight that was unsolicited by sudden danger, your brain, your mind will automatically go into a fear loop. That fear spike becomes doubt, doubt becomes hesitation. Unchecked, if you don't know how to introspect and shift those psychological gears, that doubt becomes procrastination. And in violence, you can't procrastinate. Violence loves speed. That's another, that's one of our, our presentations we do for, for organizations. This, it's called violence loves speed. But mm -hmm. everything loves speed. I love telling this story. I'm 16 years old and there's this uh, girl, Lucy, who's the hottest girl in high school. Everyone wanted to date her. <laughs> I knew her through classes. I'm 16. She's 16. The prom's coming up. I go see her. Okay, I'm going to ask Lucy. I can't believe it. I'm, my heart's pounding. I got butterflies in my stomach. I go, hi, Lucy. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, hi, Lucy. She goes, oh, hey, Tony. What's up? I'm going to fucking ask her. Ask her. I go, are you going to be in history this afternoon? He's like, yeah, of course. After lunch, right? Yeah. Okay. See you there. Fuck. I blew it. I History class. Hi, Lucy. Oh, see so you're here. Yeah. I took it. The next day I get my nerve up. 24 hours goes by. I go, this is a true story. I go, hey, Lucy, uh, yesterday when I bumped into your hall, I wasn't really asking about history. I got, just got, I get nervous about asking you this. I don't know. Hey, any chance you go to the prom with me? She goes, oh my God, I would love to. And I'm mm. like, here, she says, yes, but things are moving in slow motion. She goes, I would love to, but this fucker named Johnny, that's the same name as you, Johnny, <laughs> she, goes, she goes, I would love to. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to the prom with Lucy. But Johnny asked me yesterday and I said, yes. Oh. And I was like, fuck. And so like the story for everybody is like violence loves speed, but so did, so does dating. I yeah. feel like so does <laughs> business sort of right. First to market. And, yeah. and we overthink stuff because of fear. Yeah. I love this. I, I honestly, it's, it was so beautiful when I, when I was, uh, following up on taking a look into no fear and what you're doing with it and how it's helping people. And it's, it's also, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys are actually seeing pretty good results, helping veterans with PTSD and stuff. Correct, Tony? With no fear? Yeah. So 
one of the, one of the guys on our on our mobile training team. This is a fun story. I don't know how much time we have left, but the uh, this guy Jeff Tetesso, he's a professional psychologist. But I met him as a Maga instructor. So we have a course called the uh, Spear System Personal Defense Readiness Instructor Course. And it's a program for martial artists and self-defense, concealed carry instructors, CCW instructors, who want to bring in neurobiology, fear management, scenario design to their training, to their seminars, to their classes. Because mm -hmm. a, a lot of conventional training is block-based training, which isn't brain-based. So it's not teaching about the, the neuroscience and the scenario and why we make decisions or how to make decisions under duress. Mm -hmm. And so I've been running this. This is, this is actually, we've done a, we actually had our last, our, our most recent one was number 100. I've run 100 of these instructor certs since the year 2001. Wow. And they're only, this particular course is for people who want to be instructors in my research. Mm. And so about six, seven years ago, this guy, Jeff, shows up with another Krav instructor. They're both out of like Greenwich, New York, very successful businessmen. I don't know their background. When someone signs up with me, they do, there's an application essay, but they're not talking about what they do. They're talking about why they want to attend the course and what they yeah. want to do with it. So he comes to the course and I'm doing our stuff. And a big part of our course is fear management and talking about the no fear program and, tell, and telling people, look, you can teach your students anything they want, this gun move, this knife move, this, this. But in the heat of the moment, if their psychological fear, which will be there, distracts them from what they need to deploy or what they need to do, then all of the physical training you gave them was useless in essence. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You can't pull the trigger. It doesn't matter that you, you graduated from this school, this school, this school. That's one of the things that's missing in military and law enforcement training is it's not holistic. It's not teaching people some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the first time they experience true danger and fear, they've never, they've never been exposed to some of the stuff. Anyways, fast forward to the vets question. Two years later, this guy, Jeff Tetesso calls me up and he says, Hey, I've been testing out some of your principles with some of my clients. And uh, it's more effective than anything I've learned in 20 years. Mm. And I'm like, Jeff, what, what are you talking about? I didn't even know what you do. I thought you were probably about instructor. He <laughs> says, no, I'm a, I'm a psychologist. He says that I have a special um, uh, place in my practice and in my heart for helping vets who are dealing with PTSD. Mm -hmm. And they love your material. They love your material because when I tell them who developed it, it's not, you know, Freud or Carl Jung or some. Yeah you know, psychologist, it's a guy who trains military. So there's an affinity, a rapport right away. Yeah. And they said, they love that the cycle of behavior looks like a strip map. You're over here. You landed here. This is where we can pick you up. You got to get the fuck out of the fear loop. The fear loops, the kills up. Yeah. And they, and he, yeah. he, he took my principles of three D's, uh, detect, diffuse, defend, and he applied it to like, like simple psychology. And then he's, he, he regurgitated what he said. He said, Tony, he says, this is more effective than anything I've learned in 20 years studying psychology. Wow. And I said, Jeff, that might be the greatest testimonial ever, but you probably can't say, say it because like that would get you in trouble. He goes, no, fuck <laughs> it. It's true. And if you go to my No Fear website, my Coach Blotter website, scroll down, Jeff Tetesso, PhD psychologist, that's what he says. So at the end of the day, and I'm not being cavalier about this. When we have mild anxiety, 
or literally, and I'll go back to, you get a fear spike, fear becomes doubt. That's automatic. Doubt mm -hmm. becomes hesitation. That's automatic. Self-awareness catches that you're hesitation, hesitating. If you don't catch it, that hesitation becomes procrastination. And mm. if you can't unpack it, that becomes non-clinical or, or clinical anxiety in the sense wow. of like, you know, like I go, why aren't you doing this? Why are you stuck right here in your life? And you go, I don't fucking know. Like if you're in the, I don't know, sitting there with that, that's going to start to fuck you up. Yeah. When you know, you can start to move. You know, there, there, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel, so, mm -hmm. so to speak. So the biggest thing with the No Fear program is, is, is that it helps cultivate self-awareness where we can get people to the point where they go, so it's okay to say I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm afraid every day of shit. Mm -hmm. I got three emails this morning where I went, fuck, fuck. Mm -hmm. And I had to send a text to a business colleague of mine saying, dude, I just got slammed with some shit that is testing my endurance. Can I call you next week? Mm. But the point being is I used my self-awareness and fear management to create a lucid text as opposed to, I'm going to ignore this guy. I'm going to ghost him. I'm going to pretend I didn't get the text. I'm going to avoid this. I'm going to, which is what people do with shit. Yeah. Yep. Why didn't you ask me back? Why didn't you call me? Why didn't you, why didn't you tell me that this bothers you? Mm -hmm. Well, I was, because if we're being truthful, we would say, well, I was afraid because I was embarrassed or I, I was ashamed or I was, or whatever. So learning how to shift gears in your mind improves your self-awareness. If you improve your self-awareness, you improve your critical thinking. If you improve self-awareness and critical thinking, you're one of the elites on the planet Earth. Yeah. Like, like suddenly, like I can walk into, I can get up and I go, oh, fuck, you know. And I can say to my wife or my kids, hey, I'm working something out of my mind that something happened yesterday with this person, with this thing, with that. And I'm in a really fucking bad mood. If I snap at you, it has nothing to do with you. I love you. I'm just, I'm still figuring this out. I'm in the fear loop in my mind with this. And they're like, cool, dad, thanks. Like, but people don't talk like that, right? It's like, what's your problem? What's your problem? Like, you know, <laughs> hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay, right? I mean, think about this. How many times in your life have you seen somebody close to you, you know their body language, you know their energy, and you know something's off, and you say, hey, are you okay? And they look at you and they go, yeah, why? <laughs> I'm, I'm married, Tony. I see it all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But, but, but the point being for everyone listening, like someone's done that to you a hundred times in your life. Yep. We struggle and wrestle with that. And then three days later, we find out, or three months later, we find out. And always, if there's resolution, somebody says, why didn't you tell me? Mm, yeah. And it's always because I was afraid. Yep. Yeah. It's heavy. You it change is. your relationship with fear. If you change your relationship with fear, you can change your mind. If you can change your mind, you can change your life. And that's, that's what I love so much about it because you've created something that applies to all areas of life. And it is very effective in how you perceive potentially harmful situations as well. So truly grateful for you, brother. I, I wish I could have you on for even longer, but uh, we're wrapping up now. And Tony, obviously you're a legend in the field, but you just want to share what you got going on 
upcoming in the near future that people can be a part of. And then we'll tag everything in the show notes as well. Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing, I don't know when this will get released and somebody might listen to it in three months, right? So I'll start with evergreen stuff. If you're interested in the no fear stuff, if you're skeptical, if you go, this sounds like bullshit, but I'll, I won't tell anyone, but I'll take a look. <laughs> Johnny will share with you in the, in the links, our link to uh, a PDF called Making Friends with Fear. Okay. It's only nine pages long, so it'll take you less than 10 minutes to read and there's pictures too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and if you have a crayon, you can color them, but the, it's nine pages long. And I, I make a joke that it took me 40 years to write those nine pages. It's really like, it's, it's, it's really a, like a strong introduction to this. And mm. some people can look at that and go, ah, now when you download the PDF, it's going to put you in my funnel and be totally transparent. I want you to invest in this fucking program because it will change your life, and maybe you're a unicorn and you have no fear, but your wife or your husband or your kids do have fear. Yeah. Uh, and and I've gotten literally, I mean, just maybe maybe if you get some good feedback, we'll do another show uh, where I can talk about uh, uh, families that have invested in this mm. and how their children are doing as a result of, like as a kid, I was never taught the difference between the psychology of fear and the biology of fear. Mm-hmm. As a result, I never hit a flow state as a skier, as a wrestler, as a boxer. I was afraid I, I bombed on tests because I was so worried yeah. about failing, right? So giving people tools to look at fear differently changes their lives. So if you're a parent listening to this, get it as a, as a father, as a mother. So listen, making friends with fear, start there, invest in the program. For what it's offered, it's dirt cheap. We also, for people who are like, What's this human weapon physiology weaponized startup flinch? We just launched this. It's the human weapon system. It's mm. 10 digital classes. It comes with never been released before uh, over 80 pages of uh, uh, accompanying text for each, each chapter. And it goes through explaining what, what I mean by human weapon, de-escalation, weaponizing the startup flinches. And it's all designed. It's all shot in this garage gym. And it's designed for people that go, you know what? I do jujitsu or a box or I shoot, but that's not the same. Listening to this podcast, that's not the same as true violence. Mm-hmm. What if I put this in my toolbox, this human weapon program? So yeah. that's out there and, and it comes with a, like a shit ton of bonuses, but I would, I would check that out. And uh, those are the two big ones. But if you go to my website, my calendar, we've got live events. Like, I don't know when this is going to drop. You know, we've got our camp coming up in San Diego. Uh, in uh, uh, near the end of October, 2023, but somebody is hopefully going to listen to this in 2024. That info will have, will have changed. Yeah. <laughs> so there's opportunities to host. There's opportunities to um, train with us live. You know, if you're sitting on the fence and you want to kind of sample some stuff, get the human weapon system. We've got 44 other videos that you can look at going, what's this thing here? Check that out. Lots of resources. Yeah, I appreciate that, Tony. And we'll link all this in the show notes. And to everybody listening, I can't recommend Tony and Tony's trainings and teachings and coachings and lessons more. We heard about Tony back in special operations long ago, and he that's why he's a legend because he's out there doing, he's been doing the real work. You can tell how genuine, authentic he is. 
And it's just awesome to see you continuing to flourish, Tony, can seeing you to continue to share this, to continue to develop things. So everybody out there, please get in his ecosystem, go get his emails, know when everything's going on and get involved. Tony, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you. I got one last question for you, and I think you're going to have a gem of an answer for it. And that final question is, what does the art of masculinity mean to you? Wow. What does the art of masculinity mean to me? The thing that popped to my head is it's very connected to the whole no fear. It's this idea. One of my favorite quotes is this. Be willing to give up who you are today for who you could become tomorrow. Mm. And so what that is, is about this journey of self-actualization. What are you supposed to be? What is your destiny? And everything whether you are pursuing something with your transforming your body, what you, who you want to be as a family man or as an entrepreneur, as a warrior, metaphoric or actual professional, it's, it's about reinventing yourself every day, but you can't do that with psychological barriers, i.e. fear. So it's all connected. If I want to look back on my journey and ironically, uh, I got an email from a guy that I trained 32 years ago in Australia. Wow. Who, was, who was sitting with a friend who had old martial art magazines, Johnny. I should show you the picture. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's crazy. In fact, edit this or keep it or, or, or whatever, because I'm going to steal some more time here. His name's Brad. He says, uh, sends me this long email. He says, I was, I was with a friend and he said he had an old martial art magazine. I'm flipping through it, but check this out here. Oh, uh, shit. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah. Come on, zoom in here. Can you guys see that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look how I spelled no fear, 1993. <laughs> it was a no fear world tour, but check this out. That's me holding my son in 1993. He's like 18 oh. months old in Australia. The reason I, like I, like I shared that, and I might have just been horrible for anyone at home, and I'll send you the pictures and <laughs> drop them in or whatever. But it was this idea of, I knew what I wanted to be. I knew what I wanted to do. And I constantly, constantly was reinventing myself, mm -hmm. my physique, my program. We would change our lesson plans all the time. So the art of masculinity is like, it can't be someone else's definition, but you want to have some definition that affects your, your intellectual, your psychological and your physical posture, mm -hmm. like that you stand tall, that you are then you know what you stand for. And I wish somebody had taught me how to manage my fear as a young kid. I, I believe I'd be in the same place I am now, but with far less stress, mm. with far fewer obstacles, more hair, less gray hair. <laughs> I, I don't know if that answer makes sense. Um, it's just, you got to be willing to give up who you are today for who you could become tomorrow. And that means reinvent yourself, be the best version of yourself at all times. And you can't do that without self-awareness and you can't do that without fear management. I, I, I love that, Tony. And you couldn't have said it any better, man. That was beautiful. And I think that you hit the nail on the head. So thank you again, Tony. You've been awesome, brother. I really appreciate you. And to everybody else listening, as always, remember that the world deserves a better caliber of man and it's our obligation to give it to him. All right.